You know, and it's not saying that there are perfect marriages out there because there is no such thing. On one hand, we have an angry fool with money, and on the other hand, we have a beauty with brains. And it just goes to show you that opposites do attract. It's, it's proven. For you ladies, pay attention. I want you to pay close attention because, you know, here's what the Bible is trying to tell us in Abigail. She's beautiful and she's smart about things despite her husband's foolishness. Marriage is a sacred covenant that has been instituted by God. It was meant to be a symbol of the covenant made between Jesus and the church, his bride. This is the main reason that marriage is so viciously attacked by the devil, because he wants to ruin any picture of the love of God towards his people. As Pastor Mark teaches us the account of Abigail and Nabal, he'll be reminding us that just because our spouse may fall in sin or act foolish, it doesn't mean the other should abandon them. The Bible says two heads are better than one, and you need to lift up your spouse when they fall, not just give up on them and walk away. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 25 with today's edition of Come Alive. We're going to meet some people, and it's interesting, the very first verse, verse 1 says, Then Samuel died, the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him, and buried him at his home in Ramah, and David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. So the first portion of that, Samuel dying, it's not like, It reads like David went to the funeral, but um, a lot of scholars don't think he did. They just think he just kind of got up from a stronghold and he moved on. But Samuel dies, and so this is the end of an era for Israel. And um, it seems just as Saul admitted and seemingly accepted the implications of Samuel's judgments on him and to let it be known that David was his successor, you know, in the last chapter, Samuel passes from the scene now, and uh, he, he leaves. And so David and his men... In the second half of verse 1 are beginning to grow and it causes them to roam to find supplies. And so when you have 600 guys hanging out with you, um, it's a little tough to feed everybody, you know, just on, a, on you know, killing a rabbit or two or whatever they find. So they're, they're going to need a lot of supplies. And so they're not stationary. They can't farm or, or really raise livestock. And so they look to the people for their supplies for food. The people in the surrounding villages, they, they go around and they're like, hey man, anybody got anything you can spare because we're hungry? Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, Now there was a man in Moen whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing sheep in Carmel. And the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. So today we meet these two people in a marriage, and this marriage isn't a good marriage. It's a wealthy marriage, but that doesn't always make it a good marriage. In fact, it very rarely makes it a good marriage, and it's meaning that they're very well off. So you might think, well, you know, they got a lot of goats and sheep, but that's how you measured wealth in those days, by how many animals you owned. Abigail means my father's joy. 
and she's described as being very intelligent. The writer is painting a picture of contrast. Again, uh, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel are always books of contrast. And you see him, you contrast David with himself um, from one chapter to the next, or David with Saul. And so now we see another contrast, Abigail and Nabal. Nabal is her husband, and his name means fool. And his parents may have named him this. Um, They obviously had a sense of humor. Or it could be a name that just kind of stuck with him. But his name does mean fool. And when you hear the name fool, you might think of a moron, right? When somebody calls you a fool, it's because you've done something goofy or crazy. Um, But in Scripture, it doesn't mean that. Not at all. It means someone who is not morally all there. So a fool is someone the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, that would be a fool. It's not because they're foolish acting, it's just because they, they're morally foolish. And so they say that there is no God, that's what the scriptures tell us. So his profile tells us he's kind of a harsh guy when we read about him. He's harsh, he's evil in his doings, but then you might ask, well, why did Abigail marry him? I mean, what's the big deal? Well, just like everyone, I mean, just think about the dating game. If that's what you do and, and that's what you're in, you do your best. You, do, you put out your best to impress. And so in these days, marriages um, were, were arranged, obviously. And so maybe she didn't have a choice or maybe she did have a choice. Maybe he was the best that there was out there. Maybe he did put on his best and he, he was like the nice guy he he held his hand out to load her up on a camel or whatever it was. He couldn't open a, a door for a car because they didn't have any back then. But he would do those things, and he would probably um, stand and let her dismount the camel and help her off of the camel when the camel kneeled down to, to get off to go to the local bagel restaurant there in Jerusalem somewhere. I don't know. But he obviously did something. And hopefully, it says she's smart, so we know she didn't probably marry him just for money. A lot of people do that. It's amazing how many people actually marry for security. And their life is a living hell. And it's, it's, they don't like it. They're like, man, and I can't tell you being on the side of the desk that I get to sit on oftentimes to hear when people do these things, whether it be through a phone call or, or in person, how when people marry for security because they're looking for some, well, you know, and it's like, okay, well, you know, I, I don't agree with you. And, oh, well, you know, you don't know him the way I know him. And a few years go by and it's like, man, it's horrible. And, well, I should have listened to you. Well, you know, you said I didn't know him the way you knew him. And there were just some things about this person. Or it could be on the other end, it could be a woman. You know, the guy's like, man, you know. She just wasn't what I thought. And there's a lot of marital problems out there. So Abigail and Nabal have this problem, you know. And it's not saying that there are perfect marriages out there because there is no such thing. On one hand, we have an angry fool with money. And on the other hand, we have a beauty with brains. And it just goes to show you that opposites do attract. It's, It's proven. For you ladies, pay attention. I want you to pay close attention because, you know, here's what the Bible is trying to tell us in Abigail. She's beautiful. And she's smart about things despite her husband's foolishness. And so some of you may be married to a fool, so to speak. And that doesn't mean you are allowed to react the same like a fool. Or maybe you're a husband and your wife is a fool. And again, it doesn't allow you to act foolish in your marriage. And so when people desire marriage, they often look for the right person, right? In this time when... You were a wealthy man and it was time for sheep shearing. That meant, obviously, you had sold the wool. And so you would have money. 
When David and his men were hiding from Saul, Nabal's men were out in the, in the fields and the pastures tending the sheep. And so were David's men. And David's men were like a wall or a hedge around these guys. And they protected them from any kind of marauding bandits that would be out there looking to steal sheep or maybe to kill somebody. And so what they would do, David's men were that wall or hedge to protect him. Unlike other military men who would just go up and grab and take whatever they wanted for themselves, a sheep or two, to feed the men, David did not help himself to the fruits or the vegetables or even the sheep or the goats that were in Nabal's pastures. And so when shearing time came around, it usually meant a time of hospitality because a lot of people would gather. And again, back then, they didn't have the electric shears. They had the little clippers. And it'd be like scissors. And everybody would grab a sheep and start shearing the sheep. And they would roll up all the wool and put it in bags and load it on carts. And so there'd be a lot of people and neighbors helping or a lot of the the men of Nabal's would be doing this. And so this would be a great time of feast. And so they would kill slaughter a couple of sheep barbecue them and they'd have a great party so david and his guys just wanted some hebrew hospitality hey man we've been hiding in the caves we're hungry we could use some food we'd like to come down and party with you guys or if you don't want us to party with you we totally understand send a couple of sheep up we'll do our own deal we can start our own fires and so the thought is any man with that size of a flock could spare a few sheep and so and feed the men who help protect his flock. And so that would just kind of be common courtesy. It says, then Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one um, from his master. Shall I then take my bread, my water, my meat that I killed for my shears and give it to men who I do not know where they are from? So this guy obviously is lying. We can see this because he asks a question later on, who is David? Who is this son of Jesse? So he knows who David is. Sounds like he does. But look look even closer where he talks about it. He says, shall I take my bread, my water, my meat that I killed for my shears? He's got a sense of ownership. You see this guy's problem here? He's self-centered. He's very self-centered. He sees the world through me colored glasses. It'd kind of be like if if somebody were traveling and they were hurting, and the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and to love our enemies and stuff. And so somebody's suffering and hurting, and somebody knocks on the door and says, "Hey, can you spare some food?" Hey, man, this is my brisket. I just barbecued on the grill. You know, maybe the neighborhood smelled it, and there's somebody hungry, and they want to come over and hang out and eat. And like, this is my brisket. That's my corn. These are my children. I cooked it to feed my family in my house. What right do you have to come here? And a lot of us might be like, well, dude, if that person came to my door, I might be the one to say that. Hopefully you're not that rude. But again, he sees the world through me colored glasses. Ben Franklin said, he that falls in love with himself has no rivals. And if you think about it, it's true. See, Nabal has taken ownership of his flocks, and there's a problem with that. The big problem is he should be a steward. You and I as well might have that same problem when you think that everything in your house and your car is all yours. Oh, mine, 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 mine. You just need to be a good steward. And we teach our children to share often, and yet we even tell them, you know, that's really not your car. Though I gave it to you, I bought it, so it's really my car, my toys, my room. You know, the other day my daughter told me, get out of my room. She's not old enough for me to run and get the deed and show her that and ask her to find her name on it. But when she gets older, that may happen. 
Your name's nowhere on this. This is actually my room. I'm allowing you to use it, and you're just being a steward of that room or my son. And so that's the situation that we have here is there's a sense of ownership taking place, and that should not be it. He should be a steward of it. The difference between ownership and stewardship is this. Ownership says it's mine. Stewardship says it's God, and I'm supposed to manage it, take care of it, and give it back to God and share it with those who do not have to open it up for God's purposes. Ownership says it's mine. I can do whatever I want. Stewardship says it's up to the Lord. If the Lord wants me to have 10 people in my house for dinner tonight, then that's what I'll do. Even our bodies, you think about it, it'd be like, hey, Nabal, you're not even in control of your own body. Well, yes, I am. Look, I can move my arm up and down. That's true. But can you stop your heart and make it start again? You you can't do that. And you might be able to hold your breath long enough to where you pass out, but yet your body, because I used to do this when I was a kid when I wanted something from my mom. I was like, mom, I want something. She'd be like, no. I'm like, all right, I just hold my breath. And I'd remember just as I'd start to fall, I'd just completely pass out. But you know what? I always woke up, and she'd still stand there washing dishes. She knew. I was just going to pass out. But your body started, my body started itself again. So you're not even in control of that. So Nabal knew who David was. There was no mention of his dad, Jesse, ever. And all of a sudden, he mentions Jesse. And so Abigail, his wife, knew who David was. So this guy's just pretending, or he could just genuinely be ignorant. And there are some people that are that way, that have no clue as to what's going on around them. And I I think the other. I think he knew who he was. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, So David's young men turned on their heels, went back. They came and they told him all the words. And then David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword. Or every man grab your sword. We're going to war. And so even David straps on his sword. And uh, about 400 men went with David. 200 stayed with the supplies. All right, so here's what's crazy. This isn't a good scene, right? Not a good scene at all. I mean, every time I read this, I just start laughing. I can just see David. He's hungry. I've been this hungry. I've been this hungry where I'm like, man, I'm so hungry. If I don't get something to eat, I think I'm going to kill somebody. And then you walk up and you're going in and the guy's like, sorry, man, lunch is over. And you're just like, what do you mean lunch is over? It's 1230. Yeah, look at the, we end at 12. And you're like, oh, man. Or, you know, you get your food and some stinking dog runs up and eats it. And then you're like, okay, your lunch. You know, right? You're just like, man, if I had some charcoal, I'd grill the dog. I'm so hungry. But so this, this happens. David's hungry. But he's not angry because he's so hungry. I mean, I, I laugh and I'm thinking, well, part of it could be that. But it could just be the rude treatment that, that he's experiencing. When these guys come back. And I could just hear, dude, you should have seen. He was so mean. He was just wrong. I mean, he, and, and you know, sometimes stories get a little twisted. It's like telephone, you know. You whisper in someone's ear, I like your shoes. And it turns into being, you're the ugliest person in the world when it comes back to you. And you're like, man, that's not at all how it started. But so it could have gotten a little twisted. I don't know. But this isn't a good scene. David is upset to say the least. So it's like, dude, what's up, David? You know, in the last chapter, you're all guilty about cutting Saul's robe. You know, you're kind of all like, oh, man, I feel so bad, you little harp player. And now, you you know, this guy doesn't give you some sheep or some barbecue and and you want to kill the guy, you know, just because you're not getting lamb chops or 
or some euros, you're going to kill this guy? You know what's happening? Here's what's happening. We tend to go to God with all these giant-sized problems, right? Saul and all his men, the 3,000 that are coming after David, that's a pretty big problem compared to, where should we eat, Burger King or McDonald's, right? You think about it. They're coming to get the house. They're going to repossess the car. Dear God, please help us in this situation. And yet, Burger King or McDonald's, where do we eat? The little things, the giant-sized problems in our life, cancer, relationships. We go to God for the big stuff. The little stuff, when there's money in the pocket, enough for the food, hey, we can do that. We can handle that. So here, we only go to, we saw David last chapter going to God for the big stuff. But David gets so angry, he straps on a sword. He takes 400 guys, and that's the equivalent of, you know, if you really think about it, it'd be the equivalent kind of like if your waitress didn't get that tip, and all of a sudden she runs into the back of the kitchen and grabs some steak knives and meets you at your car and tries to do a Benihana thing on you. I mean, that's about the equivalent of what's taking place here. It's not a huge problem, but it's a problem nonetheless. So, you know, sometimes we as Christians get that way. I've seen it. When the waitress can't bring out the food on time or she messes up a couple of orders, we get a little upset and start talking about how we're not going to tip the waitress, we're not going to give her her money, or your boss treats you as if you're nothing, or the checker at HEB is just horribly rude to you. And um, I heard a story about that last week. You know, and, and, and we, can, we, we don't go to God right away with those little bitty things that we think we can handle, you know. And when somebody was telling me that story, I remember just putting the shoes on of my, my, my brother there that was telling the story. And I was thinking, if that was me, I'd have bounced that guy out on his head into the parking lot. And then I'd have just slammed the carts on him and been like, oh, yeah, really? It's not your problem now, is it? You know, and we get in the flesh. Little bitty problems when somebody's just rude to us. I don't want to be a bad witness. None of us should want to be a bad witness. And not that the brother that was telling me the story was. He just got upset, went home and prayed. He did the right thing. Did the right thing. So David straps on a sword. He gets angry. Takes 400 guys with him. Eh, that's a little overkill, but that's all right. He goes out there and he, and he gets out there. So on one hand, we saw David doing something so amazing. So amazing. And then we see him lose it. And, you know, you might think, wow, that's cool. That's really cool. Oh, what is this? And this is what's cool about this because it's the Bible and the Bible doesn't candy coat its characters. It doesn't candy coat the people in it because we see David do something amazing, but we also see him being very, very real. Very real, just like you and I. And so we we get to see this. Maybe yesterday you were so angry that you thought you could just kill somebody, but on Friday you ministered to people and, and you prayed and then all of a sudden you're driving down the road and you're like, man, you know, that's real life. Real life happens to each and every one of us. But here's the deal. When you have a victory over a great temptation, you become vulnerable to the smaller ones. It always happens. You might have victory over a great temptation. You might be like, wow, I didn't do that. I beat that thing. But Satan's smart. Satan's very smart because he says, hey, look, his guard's down over here on this little area where he doesn't need a lot of help. There's something you might not fail in or even think you could fail in, but all of a sudden, food, lambs, barbecue, you want to kill the guy? It's weird. But Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane does the same thing, right? He's ready to take on a whole army, pulls out a sword, and he means to kill somebody, and he cuts off a dude's ear. It's like, way to go, Peter. You really know how to use that weapon. But a little while later, Peter proves to be a chicken 
When a, when a girl says, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And he crumbles in fear. See, it usually isn't the big battles that get you. It's those little ones. It's the multitude of little ones that tend to get you. Look at verse um, 14. It says, now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. Basically, he insulted them. He made fun of them, verse 15. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them or when we were in the fields. And they were a wall to us, both by night and by day, and all the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. Even his employees knew this dude was a monster. He was one of these bosses that you probably couldn't say anything to. Oh, no, whatever. It's not your way. It's my way. And if it is going to be your way, then you can hit the highway. And so here we see this. That's the employee's testimony of their boss. In the King James Version, Nabal is called the son of Baal. In Hebrew, it means a son of Satan. He's called the son of Satan. And now when I looked up this word, I found an interesting thing. And it means the ultimate sin. The ultimate sin of pride. This guy is so prideful that he never thinks he's wrong. And that's what that means when I looked it up. Now, this word, when it moves from Hebrew into the Greek, it means to fail, to be destroyed, and come to nothing. And I started to think about that, and I thought, wow, that's an amazing word. And how in the Hebrew, it talks about it being the son of Satan. That's how we would translate that, the son of Satan. But the implication being that it's ultimate pride, being the ultimate prideful person but yet, in the Greek, when it moves to that, talking about being destroyed and coming to nothing, and when you think about that, you think, well, that's Satan's ultimate end. He's going to be destroyed and come to nothing. And so, Nabal is this headstrong guy. No one can talk to him. Maybe there's, you're that way. Maybe you're that guy that no one can talk to. Someone says, hey, here's my idea. I think this is what I, I want you to do. And then, but you're so prideful that you're like, no, 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 that's not a good idea. This is a better idea. Maybe you're that kind of a person like Nabal. Maybe you're a very opinionated person. And you always think other people's ideas are dumb and yours are the best. You might think, well, that's kind of far. I mean, I don't think they're dumb. I just don't use them because they're not good. Well, then you could be like Nabal. It'd be foolish to think that. So... You might be like, I don't want to hear it. Don't be that person. You know, I always tell people, you know, ask other people, hey, can, can you talk to me? Am, am I open to new ideas? Am I, am I cool with new things? We're so glad you tuned in today to Pastor Mark's teaching here on Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been walking us through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, unlocking the blessings, truth, and love found within its verses. We know that reading God's Word can be difficult to squeeze into your schedule sometimes, so having something to listen to instead can help. With that in mind, we'd like to let you know about our Come Alive podcast. We've made Pastor Mark's messages available to you for free so that you can take them with you on the go, making hearing the Word so much more convenient. Search for Come Alive on iTunes or on Google Play and subscribe to have a notification sent to you as soon as we post new additions. Thanks again for tuning in today to Come Alive. If you'd like to learn more about this ministry and the church behind it, please visit us online at comealiveradio.com. 
If you're living in or near Katy, Texas, we'd also like to invite you to come see us in person at Calvary Chapel Katy. We're a laid-back group of Jesus followers, and we love inviting new people to come join us in seeking the Father and praising His name. Find service times and directions to our church when you visit our website, comealiveradio.com. That's all we have time for today. We pray you continue to find Jesus through His Word and in everything you do. Join us next time for another in-depth look at the Bible, right here on Come Alive.